Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. I've got a confession to make this morning. I'm a recovering speed addict. Now, before you get too worried about me, I'm not talking about the drug. I'm talking about the pace of my inner life. I always am in a hurry. I'm always running at a million miles an hour, and there are a thousand thoughts that are going through my brain. My wife, Tegan, says that I'm exhausting to live with. In fact, this one time when I lived in Perth, uh, I was on my way to school, taking the kids, and I, I was on my way to work, and I had to drop the kids off at their school. But I was so caught up in my thoughts and what I had to do that day that I completely forgot to drop them off at their school. And so as I pulled into my car garage and my car came to a stop, the kids were still in the back and they turned and they said, Dad, aren't you forgetting something? And so I had to go and drive an extra hour back to drop them off at their school. Now, you've probably never done anything like that before, But as I said, I'm a recovering speed addict. And what I have found is that when I do slow down, or when I'm forced to slow down, when I come to a screeching halt, what I found is that when I look down into my soul, I realize I've been running on empty. I realize that my busyness has just been masking these deep thirsts that have been driving me to push harder and to go faster. I wonder... Would you take a moment right now just to slow down and look deep into your soul and ask yourself, are you running on empty? Are there deep thirsts in your life that have been masked by your busyness that are pushing you to go faster and go harder? You see, the problem is, is that we all come to a screeching halt At some point, I remember that happened to me a number of years ago. It was December 2015, and I was running at an extraordinary pace. There was lots of things that I was doing in the church. I was was the chairman of two organizations of their boards, uh, Cedar College here and a Bible college. But little did I realize that all of this activity and busyness was just covering up a deep emptiness. Well, one morning, Pastor Jeff, who you saw this morning, uh, who, who was our host here this morning, Uh, One day I was having a meeting with him and at the end of our meeting, it looked like his hair was on fire. And I thought, that's really strange and I was feeling really weird. And so I went to my wife, Tegan, who's the school nurse, and as I walked into her office, I felt my heart racing and I thought that I was having a heart attack. Well, she told me to lie down immediately and called the ambulance. Well, the ambulance came and they took me to Mobbury Hospital And after a number of tests, it turns out that I was okay. I wasn't having a heart attack. I was just running so hard that my body said, enough is enough. You have to stop right now. So at the advice of my doctor, I took an immediate leave of absence and went home to rest. And after a couple of weeks, after the inertia wore off, I came face to face with the reality that I was running on empty that all of this busyness was just masking these deep thirsts that were driving me to go faster and faster. I wonder, as you took a moment just before to look deep down into your soul, are you running on empty? 
Is your busyness just masking these deep thirsts that are pushing you to go faster and go harder? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. You don't have to cover your emptiness with busyness. You can come to Jesus and he will fill your emptiness. You can come to Jesus and he will satisfy the deep thirsts of your soul. Well, to show this to you this morning, I want to look at a conversation that a thirsty and empty woman had with Jesus. This conversation that this woman had with Jesus is found in John's biography of Jesus's life. In the New Testament, there are four biographies of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this um, conversation that this thirsty woman, uh, this empty woman had with Jesus is found in John chapter four. So if you I want to follow along in the Bibles in front of you. It's on page number 888 in those Bibles, but the passage is also going to come up on the screen. And what we're going to see this morning from this conversation that this woman had with Jesus is we are going to see the extraordinary promise of Jesus. We're going to look at the work of Jesus, and then we're going to look at how we respond to Jesus. We're going to look at the promise of Jesus, the extraordinary work of Jesus, And then we're going to have a look at how we should respond to Jesus. And at the end of today's message, as I said before, I'm going to invite everyone to make a response this morning by the cards that are on your seats. So let's first have a look at the promise of Jesus. Uh, John opens this conversation that uh, he sets the scene for this conversation that Jesus had with this thirsty woman this way in verse 1. He writes, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize only his disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, just to give you a bit of a map, to give you a bit of an idea of what's going on here, Judea, as you see, is in the south, and Galilee is right up in the north. And so when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, the bad guys, had heard that his fame was growing, Jesus left Judea and made his way north up to Galilee. But then we read in verse 4 this. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, the reality is, is Jesus didn't have to pass through Samaria. I know when you look at the map, you can see that actually Samaria is right in the middle between Judea and Galilee. It separates those two areas geographically. But typically speaking, Jewish people, if they were traveling from uh, Judea in the south up to Galilee, they would take the long way around. And the reason they would take the long way around is because Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans were this group of people who had intermarried with the surrounding nations. They had their own Bible. They'd set up their own temple. And the Jews severely resented them for this. And so Jews would go to great lengths to bypass Samaria so they didn't have to come in contact with a Samaritan. But it says there in verse 4 that he had to pass through Samaria. Why did he have to pass through Samaria? Well, I'll tell you why. There was one woman in Samaria who desperately needed an encounter with Jesus. You see, Jesus is setting up our lives so that we will encounter him. Now, you may disagree with me this morning, but I believe that Jesus, that you are not here by accident here this morning. If you're here this morning, you're not here by accident, but Jesus is setting up your life so that you will encounter him. You'll encounter what he has to offer. 
Well, then John goes on to say, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour is the middle of the day. So it's the heat of the day, right in the very middle of the day. And then we read this, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, this is unusual for a number of reasons. Firstly, it's unusual because typically people didn't come in the middle of the day to draw water. They would typically come at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day when it was really cool. They wouldn't come in the middle of the day. And it's also unusual because this woman is going by herself. Typically, women, when they would go in that culture to draw water, they would go in a group because if you went by yourself, you, it was, you would be very unprotected and anything could happen. So this is very unusual that this woman is going right in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, and all by herself. But Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And the, and the woman is absolutely shocked by this. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, she is shocked for a number of reasons. First, she's shocked because back at that time, men didn't typically speak to women who weren't part of their immediate family. And also she's shocked because, as I said, there was this deep racial divide between Jews and Samaritans. But you know, Jesus doesn't care about any of that stuff. Jesus wants all people to come to him. You know, you might be here today and you might think, well, I could never sort of do the Jesus thing because of, you know, my past or maybe the way I look. But you know what? Jesus doesn't care about any of that stuff. Jesus wants all people to come to know him. But if what Jesus had just said had shocked the woman, what he would say next would be even more shocking. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman is shocked. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You can see her skepticism. She's saying, you're saying that I need to ask you for a drink, but you don't even have anything to draw water with. You can see her skepticism. In fact, she goes on to say, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. You can see her skepticism. You know, I know that when you first encounter the claims of Jesus, you can be quite skeptical. And it's quite normal to be skeptical when you first encounter the claims of Jesus. Maybe that's what you are this morning. You're quite skeptical about this whole thing. But I want you to know something. The woman's skepticism didn't throw Jesus off. And your skepticism won't throw Jesus off. Rather, what Jesus says next would have really intrigued the woman. Maybe it will intrigue you as well. He goes on to say to her, everyone who drinks of this water, and remember, they are right by a well. So I think he was pointing to the well. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. You see, Jesus knows that we all have natural thirsts and natural appetites. Jesus himself at this point is weary and tired. It's the middle of the day. He wants a drink. 
But what Jesus is pointing out is just as you have natural thirsts, you also have deeper spiritual thirsts. Our souls thirst. Thirst for meaning and purpose and significance and love and belonging. And often we are driven by those deeper soul thirsts. Who here has seen the movie, The Greatest Showman on Earth? You seen that movie? It came out a couple of years ago and, you know, when it first came out, I was a bit sceptical of it. I thought it was, looked pretty poxy. But my wife sort of twisted my arm to go and watch it. And so I went and watched that movie. And of course, it's the, it's the story of P.T. Barnum and, and how, you know, he, he started off in poverty. And because of his poverty, he was really thirsting for, for, for significance and reputation. And so he pursued, you know, fame and fortune, thinking that that would satisfy his soul thirst. But all throughout the movie, he gets to this point where because of those, th those thirsts that are driving him, he almost has an affair. And he almost, you know, discards his family because of that deep soul thirst. And right at the center of the movie, he realizes that this thirst cannot be quenched in fame and fortune that fame and fortune will not be enough. Do you remember that song? Never enough, it goes like this. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. They will never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it will never be enough, never be enough. What P.T. Barnum discovered is that fame and fortune could not satisfy his soul's deepest thirst. Do you know, have you ever seen movies where the main character is out in a desert and they're literally dying of thirst? And you see the sweat dripping off them, you see their lips are cracked, and then they see something in the distance. What do they see? They see some palm trees and a refreshing lake, an oasis, and what do they do? They go running and jump in, and what happens? They come up with a mouthful of sand. It's just a mirage. How many times has that happened in your life? As your soul has been thirsting after something and you've seen something in the distance thinking that that will satisfy that thirst, and so you run and you dive in and you just come up with a mouthful of sand. It's just a mirage. It will never be enough. It won't satisfy. So what will satisfy those deeper thirsts in your soul? Well, Jesus makes this extraordinary promise. He says, if you come to me and ask from me, I will give you living water and you will never be thirsty again. In fact, he says this, he says, the water that I give you will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, I know when most people think of the Christian faith, and this is quite normal, most people think the only reason to become a Christian is so that at the end of your life, you get to go to heaven. And because most of us think we're not going to die anytime soon, most of us file away the Christian faith into something that we will investigate in the future, maybe, you know, on our deathbed or something like that. But Jesus, he has a very different understanding of what eternal life is. Eternal life is not just something that you get when you die. Eternal life is something that starts right now. It's a quality of life. 
where your soul's deepest thirsts are satisfied. They're satisfied in a relationship with the God who made you. Your thirst for belonging, your thirst for love, your thirst for significance is met in a relationship with the God who created you and made you for himself. You see, the extraordinary promise of Jesus in this text is that if you come to him, he can fill your emptiness. He can satisfy your soul's deepest thirst. Well, we've looked at the promise of Jesus. Now let's look at the work of Jesus. I mean, this woman, she turns to Jesus in verse 15 and she says, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. You'll have to come here to draw water. She's like, if this is the deal, if you can give water that will quench my thirst, then give me this water because I don't want to come here again to have to draw water. She's not quite understanding what Jesus is saying. So Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands And the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. You see, what I think uh, we see here is now we see the reason why this woman is coming to the well in the middle of the day all by herself. She's had this series of broken relationships and the man that she's now sleeping with is not her husband and I think the implication is, is that he is the husband of someone else. And so because of her shame and her guilt, she's isolated herself from the rest of the people and is coming in the middle of the day by herself to draw water. But don't you love the way that Jesus is so gentle with this woman? He doesn't reveal her sin in order to hurt her. He reveals it in order to heal her. You know, if you went to the doctor because you were sick and you were suffering, you go to the doctor when you're sick because you want the right treatment, don't you? You want the right treatment so that your suffering will be eased. But in order to get the right treatment, you need the right diagnosis. If you don't have the right diagnosis, you won't get the right treatment. You can have a doctor who can tell you whatever you wanna hear, but unless you get a doctor who will tell you the truth and give you the correct diagnosis, you won't get the right treatment. Well, here, Jesus diagnoses the problem with us and the problem with this woman, and the problem is sin. You see, sin separates us from God. It's illustrated this way. You have God on one side and you have us on the other side, and our sin separates us from God. It stands between us and God. And so that's why our souls are thirsty, is because they are not in relationship with God, because sin is standing between us and God. Now, I know most Australians think, I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad. But here's the thing. Have you ever lied? Ever told a lie, even a small one? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever gossiped and robbed someone of their reputation? See, even if you've done those small things, you've still sinned and you've caused this separation between you and God. Well, the woman then goes to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people should worship. 
Now, what is she bringing up this whole, this whole argument of where to worship? Why is she saying, Jesus, why, why, where's the correct place to worship? Should we worship in Samaria and the temple there or should we worship in Jerusalem? Why is this woman bringing this up? Well, I think this is an honest question. You see, the woman knows that her sin has been exposed and she knows that in order for her sin to be forgiven, there needs to be a sacrifice made. And so she's sincerely asking, should I go to Samaria, to our temple and make the sacrifice, or should I go to Jerusalem? Now, we often think about these people back at that time, and we think, man, they were so primitive, so primitive, all this whole sacrifice thing, that's so primitive. But when you think about it, it, to offer forgiveness, when someone forgives, offers forgiveness, there is always a cost to pay for, for, for forgiveness to be granted. Let's say, for example, um, I borrowed Pastor Jeff's car, okay? And I took Pastor Jeff's car out and I smashed up Pastor Jeff's car and I bought it back to him. That would stand between me and Pastor Jeff because I've now smashed up his car. And for Pastor Jeff to forgive me and for us to still be friends, either he would have to pay the cost of the insurance excess and say, it's all right, Timon, I've got it covered. I'll pay the insurance excess you're a poor pastor, it's okay. <laughs> or I would have to pay. I would have to say, I'm so sorry, Jeff. Let me pay. Let me pay the excess so that your car can be fixed up. But if, if no one paid, that would still stand between us. You see, this is what the sacrificial system was all about. It was showing that what stands between us and God is sin. And sin demands a payment. And the payment for sin is death. But also the sacrificial system taught that you could have someone else pay for your sin. There could be someone else who could be your substitute, who could pay for your sin so that you didn't have to. Well, Jesus turns to this woman and he says, Dear lady, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So he's saying the hour is coming when that whole sacrificial system is going to be done away with. And then in verse 23, he says, the hour is coming and is now here. Now, why could he say that? Well, because in a couple of short years, Jesus would go to the cross and he would be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. He would die on the cross for all of our sins so that we could be forgiven by God. Here's the diagram. Jesus actually paid the price for us. He died for us so that we might be forgiven by God, so that we might be brought back into relationship with God. You see, this is the work of Jesus. Jesus came to be the savior of the world. He came to die on the cross for our sin, and then he was raised from the dead, proving that he was God's son. You know, in the Second World War, in Nazi Germany, in the concentration camp, there was this old priest whom everyone dearly respected. And the reason they respected this old priest is because often uh, he would give up his meal so that other hungry people could be fed. And this one time, the Nazis said, we want you to build, we want to build this ditch. And so they got 12 people, including the priest, and they went out with shovels and they dug this ditch. Well, when the prisoners came back and the Nazis counted up how many shovels there were, there were only 11 shovels. 
So the Nazis lined up these 12 prisoners, including the old priest. And they said, who has taken the shovel? There's only 11 shovels. Stand forward now. Who has taken the shovel? Well, no one stood forward. So the Nazi commander said, well, if no one stands forward and takes responsibility, then I'm going to shoot every single one of you. Well, with that, the old priest stood forward. And the men heard him being led away. And then they heard a single shot as he was executed. Well, the men went back to the shed where the shovels were stored and they counted the shovels. And do you know how many shovels there were? There were actually 12 shovels they had miscounted. So an innocent man had died so that they could all go free. This is exactly what happened on the cross. Jesus died so that we might go free, so that we might be forgiven, so that which stands between us and God, our sin might be removed so we can come back to God. So we've looked today at the promise of Jesus. We've looked at the work of Jesus. But now let's look at how we should respond to Jesus. The woman said, I know that Messiah or Saviour is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now it's implied, I think, in this story that what this woman does is she turns to Jesus and she receives him as her Saviour. <laughs> her sin has been exposed and she turns to Jesus and she receives him as her Saviour. You see, the way to respond to Jesus is to acknowledge your sin and then you turn to Jesus and you receive him as Lord and Saviour, as these people this morning have testified to. That's how you respond to Jesus. You turn to him, acknowledging your sin, and receive him as your personal Saviour. You know, just imagine this morning I had a free car to give away. I don't. But let's say I had a brand new Mazda X9, all right, to give away. Who would like a brand new car today? All right. No one here wants a brand new car. You are all satisfied with what you have. Praise God. Let's just say I had a brand new car to give away. It's not going to cost you anything. It's a gift. I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be free. What would it take for you to receive that gift? You would need to take the keys and jump in the car and drive it away. To receive the life that Jesus offers you, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to be a good person. You just have to turn to him in faith and receive him into your life and trust him. So we've seen today the promise of Jesus, we've seen the work of Jesus, and we've seen the response of Jesus. You know, I said right at the very beginning that I'm a recovering speed addict. <laughs> and back in December, I came to a screeching halt, and I took eight weeks off work. And in that time period, I thought that I was a complete failure. I thought that I'd failed God. I thought that I'd failed the church here. I thought that I'd failed my family. But this beautiful thing happened is that when I went into my study in the afternoon and just read my Bible and prayed, Jesus reminded me that I could come 
to him. And he would fill my emptiness. See, maybe many of you are believers here today. Did you notice what it says? Jesus says, I'll give you water to drink, and that water will become in you a well, a spring that wells up to eternal life. See, what I had lost is that I needed to come back to Jesus and drink from that well. And as I drank from that well, he reminded me, you are loved, Timon. Apart from your work as a pastor, you belong to me. You are my child. Are you running on empty this morning? Come to Jesus. He can fill your emptiness. He can satisfy your soul's deepest thirsts. He can give you living water. That may start as a bit of a trickle at first, but it will well up (laughs) into this deep, rich, rewarding relationship with God. A couple of weeks ago, we had the funeral of the oldest living member of this church. He's not there anymore. He's died. But but we had his funeral a couple of weeks ago, and he lived a rich, fulfilling life because when he was younger, he received the free gift of salvation and came to Jesus, and it was a beautiful, fruitful life. That can be your life, but you need to come to him. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you want to come to Jesus this morning for the first time, and you want to pray this prayer and receive that living water, then I want to pray this prayer, and I would love you to pray this prayer along with me in your heart. So let's all close our eyes and bow our heads. And let's pray together. Dear God, pray this in your heart. I acknowledge that I've been trying to fill my emptiness with busyness. And I acknowledge that I am a sinner and have sinned against you. I turn to you now and receive Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. I thank you that he died from my sin and he rose again. And I ask him to come into my life and give me his living water. Thank you, God, for coming into my life today and filling my emptiness with your fullness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.